Thanks for joining us online today. If you'd like to join the conversation, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope that you'll enjoy this message. weekend. Welcome to all of our services at Plantation Campus and Gateway Campus online. All of you guys, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so pumped because this weekend we have one of my best friends in the whole world, Pastor Peter Haas is in the house. Man, I love this guy. Pastor Peter and his wife, Carolyn, pastor a great church in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis, Minnesota called Substance Church. It's a multi-site church, just like our church next level. And uh, over the last eight years or so, Peter, you and your wife, Carolyn, have just become amazing friends of Sarah and I. We love these guys, and so we always just agree to kind of trade out and pulpit swap in our world is what you call it, at least once a year. And so I'm so glad that he's here. And in addition to being a pastor of a great church in the Twin Cities, he's also an author. And so Next Level Church... We're excited this weekend because Pastor Peter is here, and he brought with him his brand new book called Broken Escalators, which is an awesome title. I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, here's the thing. Peter's actually going to be speaking about this this weekend from some of the content of his book, Broken Escalators, and here's the deal. As you're listening, here's what I think is going to happen. You're going to be thinking to yourself, oh, man, this applies to me, but... I guarantee you, you're also going to see the face of someone else in your world, an employee, a co-worker, a boss, a relative, a spouse, a kid, a parent, I don't know. So here's what I want you to do. Go to your foyer this weekend, whatever campus you're at, and don't just buy one copy of Broken Escalators, buy two. You know why? Because I promise you, one for you and one for them. Watch what God will do through the message of this book. So come on, without further ado, give it up for Pastor Peter Haas. I love you too. Come on. I, 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 first off, I love the Kellers. Many of you guys know that we were literally born within hours of each other the same year. He's my brother from another mother. And I, I kind of like to see myself as like the rock and roll brother. You know, and then Matt's like all businessy. You know what I'm saying? Like I do business stuff and I reach people. You know, I, like I'm a little different. But we, that's why we're so good for each other. And I, But seriously, you guys, I... I love Next Level Church. Every time I am here, I am inspired. And, and, and you also might know I'm, I'm an overseer here at Next Level Church. In other words, I'm kind of an outside, you know, uh, help, even uh, uh, coach or consultant even for, for Matt and Sarah and vice versa for us. But uh, I just, I, I, like, I, right now I am freaking out about your Coconut Point campus that is about to descend upon Southwest Florida. What? Do, do, I don't think you realize you are on the verge of a takeover. I mean, like a tidal wave. Oh, I mean, like pe- people have no idea what is about to happen. I just keep thinking about the explosion that's going to be coming through this church. And I just, listen, do not wait to invite your friends until September. Come on. I mean, Estero Bonita, what, you know, like start inviting now because come on, Coconut Point. Next Level Church is coming for you. 
So start inviting your friends. I, I hope you guys realize how rare this church is. I mean, really, uh, can we just give it up for all the leaders here? Like, seriously, you guys have awesome leaders uh, and I, every level of the church. But uh, coming, coming back to my book, Broken Escalators, really, I, I wrote the book because it's all about dreams. And, and more specifically, it's about dreams, what to do when our dreams are not coming true. What to do when our dreams are delaying or tarrying and, and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and it's not happening. Have you ever had a dream that you really waited a long time for? Just raise your hand at whatever campus you're at. Just raise your hand if you've ever had a dream that you've had to wait longer than like five years. How about 10 years? 10 years, dreamers, okay? 20 years, anybody out there? Forever, has anybody waited forever? Okay, uh, no, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I'm telling you, when, when we're waiting for dreams, it can get really, really tough. And I think those are the times when it's hardest to really know how to relate to God. And I, I'm not talking about small dreams, you know, like, or those strange dreams. Like, you know, we all have a dream of bathing in maple syrup. You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about that dream. I'm talking about long dreams. Maybe your dream is to have kids, or maybe your dream is to have that one particular job, that bigger stuff, bigger things that you've been waiting for, the dream of being healed in your physical body. Well, uh, you know, my wife's great-grandparents had a dream kind of like that, and their dream was to make it to the United States. Their dream was to immigrate to the United States and to, to live the dream life that people dream about when they come to the U.S. They, they had that dream of immigrating to the United States. And, of course, back then, you know, traveling was a very dangerous, precarious, expensive thing. They were going to have to take a ship all the way across the ocean. And, and, of course, you know, on their way, you know, this was a big deal. I mean, relocating your life to another continent in those days was a big deal. I mean, they're, they're taking everything they possess and they're trying to make it onto this ship. And of course, they, you know, on their way to the ship, I, I don't know what happened if they, you know, they took a wrong turn and, you know, they, they ended up, you know, getting into a little fight, but they finally made it to the dock. But when they showed up, they were five minutes late and their boat was floating out to sea. Obviously, they were they were devastated. I mean, because now this is this is not just a this is a massive time delay, but it's also a massive financial delay. Money they did not have, and and so right there on that dock, they had just you know like an old fashioned fight. They're kind of like my wife and I. They're feisty, and um, and you know they're they're they, they missed this boat. Well, inevitably there was going to be another boat, but you know they had to spend the extra money and they had to you know find the lodging and they had to get on the boat and as they were going on this boat all of a sudden news came in that the boat that they were supposed to be on that first boat that went out it was a boat called the Titanic they missed the Titanic and now they were picking up just a few of the survivors floating in the North Atlantic it turned out their dream boat, their devastating moment was, would have been a cold, frozen death in the North Atlantic. I, and now, obviously, I think it's easy for us to, you know, the moment I said Titanic, all of you were like, ooh, you know, like, and now, see, now it's really easy to say, like, man, I'm so glad they missed that shit, because not only would they not exist, but my wife wouldn't exist, and my church wouldn't exist, and my cute kids wouldn't exist, and, you know, now it's easy for me to see how, you know, that mishap kind of turned everything around, but at the time, they were devastated. I mean, they were devastated, because she, you have to understand, she had dreams. She had dreams of standing in the bow of that ship. 
wind wafting through her hair. You know what I'm saying? Like she had dreams because this is what people did on the Titanic. That's a historical fact. She had dreams that like you know, she could hear the music near, far, wherever you are. Come on, come on, come on. You don't even have to know the words. Just sing, just sing prepositions. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you don't even have to. It's just near, far, below, beneath, whatever. I don't know, but you know what I'm saying? Like, she had this dream, and now she's weeping on a dock for whatever reason. And I, I thought, you know, when I, when I think of that image of them weeping on that dock, I keep thinking, you know what? That's a perfect representation of a lot of us, isn't it? That's how a lot of us are in our current life. You maybe came to church today and your, your dream is not coming true or it's not seem to be happening and your prayers don't seem to be heard and it's just not working out for you and you're weeping on a dock. But here, let me, let me tell you something. One of the things that I've learned over the years, it's this. Your current devastation could be the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. Your current devastation could be your current deliverance. And, and for, for many of us, at some point in our lives, I think we've all had dreams and agendas that just didn't work out the way we expected. It is, things are not, wor you know, that whatever it is, whatever the timeline, whatever the achievement, whatever it is, it didn't happen. And so we're weeping on a dock, not realizing that our plan was the Titanic. It was a frozen cold death. And in the end, let me, let me just settle it like this. We don't even know what makes us happy. And we don't ultimately know what's going to truly lead to fulfillment because we don't see things like God sees things. We don't have his vantage point. And I have a feeling that a lot of the dreams that you and I have in our lives are titanic dreams. It's dreams that will just lead us to death. We think it's the only thing that's going to make us happy, but God knows a different plan. You see, at some point or another, we're going to have to just trust God. Either we trust him or we don't, because there's going to be a lot of weeping on the dock moments where we're going to have to collect ourselves and say, okay, God, I trust you. But unfortunately, when a lot of us lose control in our lives, we have the exact opposite attitude. We start whining at God or at whoever we perceive is in control of our lives. How many of you love being out of control? Nobody, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, 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 there's so many things in my life I, I can't seem to control. I can't seem to control the autocorrect on my phone. Anybody else out there? Like, what is the deal with autocorrect? Every single time I try to respond to my friends and say, ha ha, like as in, ha ha ha, that was a funny joke, right? Ha ha. My phone corrects it to Shabaka. Like, my, all my Pentecostal friends are like, are you texting in tongues? What's going on? You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, so like, but wh why does it autocorrect to Shabaka? What is the deal there? And I keep thinking, I keep, so I finally looked up, like, who is Shabaka? Why is my phone continually talking about Shabaka? It turns out Shabaka is a pharaoh from an Egyptian dynasty, like a 25th dynasty of Egypt. But why would people be texting about him? I'm just saying... I, I feel like, you know, like our lives are kind of like that. Just when we feel like we're in control, the spirit of Shabaka comes down and just wrecks it. And, and there we are. We're weeping on a dock. At some point, we're just going to acknowledge we're not in control. But guess who is? God is in control. And we either trust God or we don't. You know what I'm saying? And, and so uh, just it's kind of an example of this. I, I, there's so many dreams that I had that were titanic dreams. Let me share you share about one. I, I, in my book, Broken Escalators, I actually, I, I talk about 
the story of my first senior pastorate. Uh, before I planted Substance 12 years ago, I actually took over a church in Wisconsin. Actually, I, at that same church, I, I worked for two different senior pastors. And I remember numerous times, I was the youth pastor at the time, and I remember, you know, numerous times as the youth, youth pastor, having my senior pastors, they would make a decision, and I'd be like, why are you making that decision? Why are we doing that? And I just, I just remember in my heart, there were numerous times where I thought, man, if only I was in control, I just know I could make that decision better. Have you ever felt that way ever about your boss? No, not here at Next Level. No, 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 no. No, but I, I, seriously, have you ever felt that way where you're just like, man, what are they thinking? I just, like, I, like, I, I just felt like my senior pastor had so much more freedom, so much more money, so much more authority. And, and even though I had never been a senior pastor, I just knew I was smarter, right? Because why? Because I'm awesome. You know what I'm saying? And you're awesome too, which is why you think that way. But I, I just, I, 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 I dreamed of a day when someday I could have the same level of resources and authority. And, and so fast forward, get this. Oh, my gosh, this is God's sense of humor. He's like, oh, so you think you can make it better? All right. You know, he fast forwards it. Uh, against all odds, I actually became the, the senior pastor of that church. Okay. And I, in, 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 I had the rudest rude awakening when I finally got all my dreams came true, right? I, like, I didn't realize this, but just think about this, okay? Although I had, as the new senior pastor, I, w I was so pumped because I just knew I was going to, I remember, like, standing behind the desk, putting my hands on that desk that first day as the senior pastor, and of course, the desk was worth more than my rusty station wagon, you know what I'm saying? But man, it was awesome, right? And I remember, I, I just remember having this overwhelming optimism, I am going to change the whole stinking And I just knew that my awesomeness was going to be felt by the whole staff. They're going to be like, man, ever since Pastor Peter became the senior pastor, it's just like Dan, it just felt better. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They were going to feel it. But let me tell you something. I had the rudest, rude awakening. Although, although I had 10 times the budget now to control and manage, I didn't think about this. I was going to have 20 times the number of people begging me for money. So you do the math, I had less money than before, if you think about it, you know what I'm saying. Although I had 10 times the authority, I had 20 times the politics to deal with. It was like staff members would emerge from dark crevices to question my budgeting motives. It was like, did you come from under my desk? It was the weirdest thing. It was like they would just come from everywhere, and I kept thinking, what is the deal? Why does everybody need me? Like, ah, like leave me alone. Just do what I say, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just... And then on top of all this, because I was now the senior pastor, I was obligated to show up at all sorts of dumb events as a politician. I, I, I just, I, do, do kindergartners really need a graduation? Really? I mean, I'm just saying. I was just like, uh, ironically, I had less time, less money, and, and really less of all influence than I ever had before. Ironically, my promotion was the greatest emotion of my lifetime. The greatest irony was that once I finally had the authority to do everything my heart desired, I didn't even have the time to enjoy the authority I now possessed. And I had to delegate it all away to guess who? My youth pastor. <laughs> uh. 
You see, ironically, that promotion began one of the most miserable seasons of my life, which led to a very profound revelation that I want to share with you called the oversimplification myth. Okay, so write this down, the oversimplification myth. I talk about 10 myths of promotion and happiness in my book, Broken Escalators, and this is myth number three, and here it is. The oversimplification myth is the false idea that promotion will make our lives easier or happier. Let me say that again. The oversimplification myth, the false idea that promotion, whatever that is, promotion could be having another kid, getting a higher salary, moving into a new house. It's this false idea that it will automatically make our lives easier or happier. You see, research has proven that when, when human beings think about the future, that we always have a simplified view of it, right? So like when you, when you think of your big dream house, uh, we never imagine the extra square footage to clean, you know what I'm saying? Or when people imagine, you know, having that extra baby, you know, they never imagine more dirty diapers, right? When people imagine authority, they never imagine responsibility. That's why it's called the oversimplification myth, because that's what we do. We oversimplify every dream in our lives. And, or For example, people come to me all the time with an if-only prayer. If only God would help me get this job, this title, this salary, this house, then all of my, my happiness is going to arrive, and suddenly everything is going to be changed. Or There's always this person, it's this if-only statement. There's always this thing in our circumstances that's suddenly going to satisfy us. Or there's, there's, If we could just resolve that issue with that one person, we always imagine there's a person that can stand in the way of our happiness. But get me, church, okay? Because the Bible teaches there is no circumstance that can hold you back from happiness, and there is no person that can hold you back from happiness. And the moment we start thinking if only, and we start praying if only prayers, that's a sign that we're out of sync with God. And I want to prove it to you in Ecclesiastes 6.1. Check this out, okay? This was written by King Solomon, the wealthiest man on planet Earth. And listen to what he writes about happiness in Ecclesiastes 6.1. He actually makes the case that happiness and enjoyment operate completely independently of circumstances. And he writes, Ecclesiastes 6.1, I've seen another evil under, sun, under the sun, and it weighs heavily on men. And it weighs heavily on even some of us here today in church. God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing his heart desires. But God does not enable him to enjoy them. Whoa. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. God will actually give a man wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing his heart desires, but does not enable that same individual to enjoy those very things. Whoa. Whoa. Well, think about that. What the Bible actually is saying is that enjoyment is a gift that comes exclusively from God and operates independently of circumstances. In other words, it's almost like the Bible is saying that God has a happiness switch, that, that he can flip on or off, and it doesn't matter how much money you have, how good-looking you are, how good-looking your spouse is, or how, if you have all the honor you could ever want, God can actually flip a switch and turn off your ability to enjoy any of it. Whoa! That changes everything, okay? Like, I, in fact, actually, statistically, this is true. Get this. According to research on happiness, I did a whole bunch of research on the science of happiness. Get this. Only 10% of happiness is based on circumstantial things. In other words, when it comes to finances, wealthy people are generally not happier than, than poor people. Uh, people like jobs or marital status generally does not affect that much happiness. Geographical location, where you live, generally speaking, does not ha uh, affect happiness by that a significant margin. In fact, you add all those things together, they only affect uh, your happiness by a margin of about 
So it begs the question, what accounts for the other 90%? Well, the Bible is suggesting God. Psalm 62.1, your soul finds rest in God alone. Your soul, Psalm 62.1, finds rest in God alone. Your salvation comes from Him, it, the Bible says. In other words, happiness isn't a circumstantial problem. It's a spiritual problem. King Solomon argues. And we see this paradox all the time. We see celebrities, they're, they're married to the most gorgeous people on the earth and they're not happy. That's why they keep partner swapping. Or millionaires committing suicide. Money, fame, prettiness, they don't equal happiness. And so it begs the question, well then, why? Why would God flip off the happiness switch for some of us? Is it because he's mean? He just wants to hurt some of us? No. Actually, the exact opposite is true. It's because he loves us. He loves us too much to allow us to continue operating under the delusion of circumstantial happiness. Really, it's kind of like as a parent, okay? I, I, I don't want my son eating candy bars every single day. Why? Because it'll rot his teeth. In other words, I'm going to intentionally limit his experiences out of love. It's because I love him that I'm going to hold him back from, from certain experiences. Now, God does the same thing with our happiness and our enjoyment, okay? Check this out. God knows when we're seeking happiness or promotion or, or wealth, uh, like ahead of his timing, he'll have to, there's certain things in our lives, dreams in our lives that God intentionally has to slow down until we put uh, him first, our priorities. God knows if we're seeking fulfillment in things other than him. He knows he's got to, he's going to either suck the love or the, the he's going to suck the fun out of it until he knows he's first in our lives. Or number two, that until we, he knows we've got the character to handle those blessings without bowing down and worshiping God. Are you hearing me? Okay, so it begs the question, how do we know if we're ready? How do we know if, if we're ready for God to flip the switch in our lives? Well, only God knows ultimately when we're ready, but in my experience, the simplest way to know if we're promotable, if we're ready for promotion, it's this. Simply look at your prayer life. What do I mean by that, okay? What kind of prayers do you pray? If we're praying circumstantial prayers, more than prayers for character, chances are we're out of sync with God. In other words, if we're asking God for things, just God change my circumstances, my income, my this, my that, just circumstantial things. If 90% if of our prayers are obsessed with circumstantial things, chances are it's a sign you're out of sync with God. Now, don't get me wrong. God loves it when we ask him for things, but if we're obsessed with circumstantial things, it's a sign we ultimately don't believe our souls find rest in God alone. In fact, right now, just so you guys know, I don't waste a whole lot of time asking God for blessings because I know, according to the Bible, he already wants to bless me. Matthew 6, 8, he knows what I need before I ask. He, and he will provide all that I need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 19. We don't even have to beg him for things. He loves us. He's up in heaven saying, come on, I love you. Why would I not do that? A lot of us, it's almost like, imagine if your kid came to you every single day and said, Daddy, would you feed me? You'd be like, of course, I, I love you, for goodness sakes. It, it would almost be insulting. And yet that's how a lot of us approach God on a daily basis. We're just constantly begging God for things as though he's not good and as though he's not generous and as though he won't provide. It's false. Your Father in heaven has already lined up a huge amount of blessings for you. That's not the issue. The question is, does your soul have the necessary integrity to sustain the weight of your dreams. Are you hearing me? 
The question is not, does God want you to experience, to enjoy life? The, the question is, is, is he first in your life so that he can trust you with blessings without you worshiping the blessing? That's what he's worried about. God could snap his fingers today and just and, and quadruple your income. He just opens up his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Psalm 145, 16 says, you see, if we don't have the character and intimacy with God to sustain those responsibilities, then it's just going to be a mess. And in the end, our lives are going to look a lot like King Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament. Uh, do you guys remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Remember uh, in the Old Testament, he was one of the famous kings that the Bible talks about in the book of Daniel, one of the most powerful kings in the pl- on the planet at the time. And yet God was constantly trying to get his attention. And, and, and so this king, he saw miracles. He saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get delivered from the furnace. He'd, he had seen God show up and do miracles. And yet despite all this, he never changed his life. In other words, he hung out around Christianity, attested to its truthfulness, but never altered his life and aligned his life with that truth. Are you hearing me? He pressed the snooze button, and I think we've all been there in some season in in our lives, right? You know what I'm talking about. So finally, God gives him this disturbing dream that his era of blessing was going to come to an end because he's not growing up. And of course, he asked Daniel, the wisest man he knew, He's like, would you interpret the dream? And of course, Daniel's like, you really want me to interpret that dream? Like, you promise not to kill me if I tell you? Because Daniel knew what the dream meant. And and he's like, well, here's the deal. God's basically saying that uh, you're getting arrogant. And if you don't change, you're going to go crazy for seven years until you acknowledge God. And so check this out. Daniel 4.28. Just check. Listen to this. This will blow your mind. Daniel 4.28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Oh, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Now just check this out, because twelve months later, he still didn't repent. I want to point that out. In other words, God gave him twelve extra months. Think about that. God has a window of repentance for all of us. And when he speaks to us, we've got that window. And for many of us, we keep delaying, keep delaying, keep delaying. Listen, you do not want to delay. When God is speaking to you, convicting your heart about something, you do not have as much time as you think you have. And so he he, he just kept thinking, ah, it's not a big deal. So, so I had a dream and so whatever, okay? Then check out what happens. Verse 31, the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. (laughs) Like, think about how freaky this would be. A voice from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Whoa. (laughs) Uh, seven times, seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Whoa, that he is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. Think about that. And he gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what, was, what it was said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and he ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle. And his nails were like the claw of a bird. 
<laughs> okay, that's creepy. At the end of that time, it suddenly turns first person. At the end of that time, verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High and I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. When you read the rest of the story, God restored him one of the coolest stories in the Bible, but I, I, I don't want you to miss the key idea in verse 32. Let me read it again, okay? This, just, just absorb this. Daniel 4.32, God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. What does that mean? Well, I mean, every, every human has a kingdom, if you will. You, you may not have seen yourself as a king over a kingdom, but what is a kingdom? It's a domain of authority. In other words, God has given every one of us a sphere of influence, right? At, at, at ch- maybe at church, maybe at work, maybe at home, a sphere of influence. It's a, it's a domain of blessing that God wants to entrust us with, right? And, and, and God won't give us kingdoms or blessings that our character can't handle. And that's the key idea. He won't give us blessings or kingdoms that our character can't handle. He loves us too much to give us money that we're just going to squander again. He loves us too much to give us spouses or kids that we won't treat right. And the disturbing fact about this text is that God basically had a limited timeline for Nebuchadnezzar, and it's the same for every one of us. Some of us are 12 months out from an affair, six months out from a heart attack, three months out from a lost job, a lost child, a lost opportunity. And maybe, maybe you're even here today and and you're like, you know what? To be honest, I kind of feel like Nebuchadnezzar. I kind of feel like circumstantially, I've already gone crazy. You know, I I think there's been seasons in my own life where I I probably wasn't really obeying God. I, I think about certain moments in my life where I thought, you know what? I got plenty of time. And you know what happened to me is emotionally, God brought me to a point where I, I, tr- I became emotionally crazy. Maybe I didn't, I didn't quite have feather hair and crazy fingernails, but you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Have you ever had a crazy friend or been that crazy person where you're just, you're, your life is such a mess and your emotions are a roller coaster? I, I think there's, there's so many seasons in my life where I look back and I, I look back on these certain years where I'm like, man, I should have been eating steak and instead I got grass all over my face. You know what I'm saying? I, I believe that, that, that some of you maybe even came in here today and you have grass all over your face and you try to hide it from people. You know what I'm saying? Because you don't want to look like you're, you're, you're emotionally up and down. But you know deep in your heart that, that, that you're out of sync with joy, out of sync with peace. And, and God brought you to church today because he wants to restore a kingdom to you. He wants to restore a domain to you. And I, I it just I, I, there, there's so many moments when... We're, we're just saying, God, I need this, I need that. We're, we're praying these circumstantial prayers, which is evidence of us being out of sync. And God's up in heaven saying, oh, no, honey, what do you need? You need me. Your soul finds rest in me alone. I believe that God's up in heaven saying, oh, if you could just comprehend the kingdom that I want to give to you. The domain of blessing, the promotion, the, the job, the spouse, the, the finances. 
And yet because our hearts are all over the place and we've conditioned our happiness on so many things, God's up in heaven saying, oh, if you could just understand how this works, I want to be your heavenly father and you simply need to be my child. God brought you to church today because he wants you to, he wants to adopt you. Are you hearing me? He wants to adopt us as his sons and daughters and pave a destiny and a calling that is far greater than the dreams that we even had. Why? Because they're not titanic dreams. They're great and glorious dreams that are far better than the ones that we could have constructed on our own. And, on our own. and, and here's the deal. Here's, here's really the moral of all this. The sooner you and I realize that God is building us more than our dreams, the sooner God will start working on our dreams instead of us. Does that make sense? In other words, when we focus on the right things, the, the things that are probably holding most of us back from promotion, which is really just, and, and I'm not saying it's always a character issue. Not every delay is based on a character issue. Sometimes God is supernaturally working out other things in our midst. But I, I think if we would just work on ourselves, then God would just take care of our dreams. Because you know what's even more crazy about King Nebuchadnezzar? God took a crazy man and made him king again. I mean, you have to admit, all those people that ran the kingdom for seven years, well, well, Nebuchadnezzar is out there eating grass. That was awkward, okay? That was an awkward moment in the kingdom. And, and you know, your, your hero, your leader is all of a sudden out there, you know, crazy feather hair. And you're just taking care of things. And then all of a sudden, you know, after seven years, he's like, hey, guys, I'm back. I'm ready. I'm, I'm staying. And they're like, oh, okay. Uh, let's start with a haircut. You have to admit they must have been hesitant. They must have been. I mean, it's a miracle that they received him back after all of that time. But that's what's, that's what's great about God is that not only can he restore us, but he can convince everybody around us that we're ready. And I believe that there's some of you here where you, you feel like, you know what, I've messed up. I've messed up with my family, and I, I'm never going to be able to get them back. Listen, you don't know this God that we serve. Or maybe you've made a mistake at work, and, and, and you don't realize God's got a plan to restore all of that. He can just go like this. All it takes is us acknowledging who God is. He's sovereign over all the kingdoms. And more importantly, my soul finds rest in Him. And so here's how to change that orientation. Here's how to just think a little different. This is, this is how to think differently. Don't pray for finances. Pray for character worthy of finances. Do you see the difference? Don't, we're not just asking God for money. We're asking God for the character that will be able to sustain more. Or, or don't, don't pray for opportunities. I don't pray for opportunities anymore. Pray for the character that could sustain you through that opportunity. The intimacy with God that would give you the endurance to handle that opportunity. You see? In short, I'll say it this way. Pray less for promotion. Pray more for promotability. Because the sooner we get in sync with God and get in sync with heaven's priorities, the sooner we're going to get in sync with heaven's provisions. And that's what I want for all of you. Is that what you want today? Wherever you're at, would you just bow your heads, close your eyes? What is that thing that you've just been pining after, that dream you've been waiting for? What is that? Maybe it's, maybe it's financial. Maybe it's 
uh, healing in your physical body. Maybe it deals with your family. I don't know. But this is what I want you to do. So I want you to take that area. I want you to lay it down before your heavenly father. And I want you just to say to him, I trust you. I'm going to trust you with that area. God, you see all the circumstances here. Lord, we, we there's so many circumstantial areas, Lord, that we have a tendency to worry about. And yet, Lord, you said the only thing that we should really be concerned about is just sitting at your feet, experiencing you and your life. And I, I pray that everybody here will be able to encounter that aspect of you. And maybe there's people here today who have never really uh, gotten, gotten into this whole Christianity thing or never fully understood this whole church thing. I, I pray that as they just encounter uh, real Christian community and encounter your love, I pray that you would just make it all clear. And that you'd help us just to get into that alignment that you have for us. And church, if you're agreeing with what I'm praying right now, then just repeat this after me. Say this. Just repeat this after me. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I put you first, starting today. I want to know you so I can make you known. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree with that prayer, just between you and God, say, I agree. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I love you, Next Level. Bless you in the name of the Lord. If your life has been impacted through this ministry, we would love to hear your story. Send us an email to mystory@nextlevelchurch.com. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. Also, if you want to support what God is doing here, you can do so through our website, nextlevelchurch.com. Your generosity is making an impact here and around the world. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week.